active. Hey, so yeah, the, that happened again. The Oilers are now 1-3-1. and one. Welcome back to Game Over Edmonton. I'm joined by uh, Liz tonight, so I'm sure she's jacked. I know it's super late there in Winnipeg, but I'm sure, you know, it's fine when they much get a Mark Shifley overtime winner. Uh, before we get into everything and whatnot, I have to give us a message from our friends at Temperance Spirits. Um... Okay, well, I'll read up a message from our friends at Temperance Spirits in a little bit here because my computer decided to freeze and it's not letting me do that. All right, well, the drinks are delicious. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get into the ad read in a, in a little bit here because my computer decided to freeze and I'm not sure what's going on. So, yeah, I'm a mess right now. That game was absolutely, absolutely atrocious. I'm so frustrated from an Oilers perspective but you know what let's try it for you for your sake we can focus on the positives here um from a Jets perspective what are your thoughts on that game well going into this Zach I knew we were both gonna be in a situation like this I just didn't know who it was gonna be who was the mess and who was gonna be kind of ignoring the bad things that happened in that game being like oh thank god you know and I am definitely in a thank god mode right now so from a Jets perspective I definitely thought that uh, there were some things that were frustrating in that game, but I thought they played an overall good game in a couple different areas. I'll be honest, as soon as the offensive powerhouse of the Edmonton Oilers scored two goals in the first however many minutes of the game, I thought the floodgates were open. I thought that was it. I thought they were done. Um, so the fact that they were able to hold their own, um, that their vest and a goaltender uh, decided to wake up a little bit was nice. Um, and so I'm just quite pleased that things are coming together a little bit, even though you're probably not. It wasn't very nice for me because I'm like, okay, we got the bad Connor Hellebuck. It's going to be a great night. They got smacked again. They're going to come out again hard. And you know what to me, I, I was just thinking about it as you said that, you know what the turning point was? You got Warren Fogle on a breakaway first period. The Oilers had just scored two goals. Connor Hellebuck wakes up, stops him later in the first. Zach Hyman, another breakaway. Hellebuck stops him. And from then on, just a brick wall. Like not, not that the Oilers generated that many high danger chances, to be honest with you, after the first period. There was that one really late from uh, the driving dry saddle Nugent Hopkins and Hyman were out together. Beyond that, though, Hellebuck was a wall. Hellebuck, I don't know if he got in their heads. Um, before we continue, I've now fixed my computer here. So I just want to jump into this because this season. You're watching Game Over Edmonton. Edmonton is your source for the best analysis of the Edmonton Oilers for 23-24. Game Over Edmonton is pleased to announce our title sponsor for the season is Temperance Spirits, Edmonton's preferred non-alcoholic beverage retailer. Temperance curates a vast selection of local craft non-alcoholic options. Choose from a selection of beers, wines, mocktails, and spirits. We believe that a social lifestyle does not require the consumption of alcohol. To celebrate Sober October, enjoy 10% off some of our favorite beverages. Let's raise a toast to being sober this October. Find Temperance Spirits online at temperance-spirits.com and follow them on Instagram and Facebook at Temperance Spirits. And I'm just going to crack open this straight edge pale ale from Temperance Spirits made in Alberta. Um, Pour it out for Connor McDavid? This thing. Yeah, exactly. Like, to just make everything worse. If he, if, if he, I don't know what the issue is there. Um, I genuinely don't. Obviously, he didn't play the last four minutes of the period. Never played in overtime. The second I saw McLeod in overtime, I knew we were finished. <laughs> um, but the it's, like the problem is there. Like 
all game he looked off. You never saw him take off with speed really. When he he was trying he was trying to do that thing where you know he stick handles through three or four people, but the Jets were standing him up at the blue line, and that never happens. He gets through everyone. It was so weird to watch. There was like I, I pulled up natural statics, and I haven't had a chance to actually check it, but I don't believe Connor McDavid even has a shot on the power play this year. Like it it, it doesn't. I don't know what's wrong with him. He doesn't seem right. Obviously, he still had two points. Leon had two points. They're never going to go pointless in that, by any means. But they do not seem right. Even Leon, like, just not skating, not moving his feet. He's so slow. Every time he gets the puck at the blue line, instead of picking up speed and trying to beat the defender, he stops and looks for a, a winger rushing in to make a pass. He's never doing it one-on-one. -on -one. And when he does do it one-on-one, -on -one, he's like, yeah, what happened in overtime when he had more spaces? He gives it right away. Like, the Jets had the puck for what? 85 90 percent of that overtime like was there ever a point where you, you're even nervous for a second yeah as soon as it was a turnover just because i think the thing with, with that is you know the team that you're against and but it's i got so comfortable with the jets having a puck in that overtime that it kind of freaked me out when they didn't so i was like i feel like i would have been less alarmed if it was like more back and forth back and forth but yeah you're right like the jets were able to not just keep possession but get it too i thought it was easier to strip edmonton of the puck than i was expecting it to be in that overtime period yeah leon was not holding like leon he has the ability to to protect the puck in the corner and it doesn't matter if you're victor hedman or ben gleason like no one could get the puck off that guy and it just i don't know it, it, there's so many fundamental uncharacteristic things that are going on with the edmonton oilers now i will say um, I honestly, when they went to overtime, I kind of felt the loss coming when Connor hadn't touched the ice, but being one, three and one at this point in the season is a lot less of a hole than one and four, one and four. I was super, super worried about because then you start to, the heat really starts to get turned up all of a sudden, you know, there's a bunch of fighting. The media starts turning up the pressure. They start getting, you know, writing bad articles about players and they're never going to write a bad article about a Vander Kane or anyone. There's, it's always going to turn on Dylan Holloway or whatever. And Holloway already has been screwed because he's been one of the Oilers best players this year. And, you know, to start the game, one of the biggest frustrations for a lot of Oilers fans kind of around, around the world watching was uh, Matthias Janmark, who's been, I don't know how to show it. Literally dog shit. Like genuine garbage for the first five games of the season. Uh, he's provided nothing of substance besides penalties being taken. Um, got elevated to the second line. Like he was on, he's specifically on the team for his ability to penalty kill. And when he's in the box, he cannot penalty kill. And even when he is penalty killing, he sucks at it. Like there's literally nothing that the guy can do. The Oilers are a slower team than I think a lot of people expected. Yeah, Yanmark can skate, but he doesn't have that explosiveness that a guy like Dylan Holloway has, and Holloway's been exceptional. And I don't know what it is. Every good play he makes, whether it's blocking a shot or just keeping the puck alive in the offensive zone or working off the cycle or getting a decent chance on Hellebuck when they were few and far between in that atrocious second period, he gets screwed for it. Every good play he makes... It seems like Woodcroft is holding him back. If he was like Yamark and took to a stupid high sticking penalty and a lazy slashing penalty, maybe he would have gone more ice time. I don't really know how Jay Woodcroft is working right now, to be honest with you. It's it's mind-boggling some of the decisions coming out of the Oilers lineup. I'm sure I know you guys are kind of having a similar thing with Mason Appleton on the first line, though. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I think it, it's interesting. And I want to say that there there's something that I almost wonder sometimes if, if we as as fans who aren't coaches just don't see it because the whole idea of playing a young player who might be bad instead of a older player who is bad just seems so foreign to NHL coaches and 
to them, to, to at least from my perspective of Jay Woodcroft, and I compare it to Cole Perfetti in this situation where he didn't see the ice for the last seven minutes of the third period, didn't play in overtime at all. And it's like, okay, you need a goal to win. He might get you a goal, but he might not. Adam Lowry won't get you a goal. Like, and Matthias Janmark is not getting a goal for the Edmonton Oilers in a situation where Dylan Holloway wouldn't also get that goal. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a there's a bunch of issues. And then the thing is, like, in overtime, you see they're trying to get Evander Kane going. Evander Kane tried to get himself going uh, when he fought Brendan Dillon early on in the, in the, if I believe, was the second period. or um, Yeah, very early in the second, I want to say. Yeah, and, 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 you know, it was just kind of a nothing scrap, to be honest with you. They took off their helmets, threw some light punches, went to the box for the seven minutes or whatever. But Evander Kane, at least for the Oilers, has been a huge problem this year. I don't know if it's so there's so many different theories, but whether you say it's it's his wrist, it's his work ethic, whatever it is, the Oilers are paying him almost six million dollars to be a top six winger on what they believe to be a Stanley Cup contender, but has played nothing, nothing even close to a Stanley Cup contender potential. Uh, he's been atrocious every time he gets the puck. It, it, it honestly is advantage Winnipeg or advantage whoever they're playing because he he cannot make a pass it's unbelievable I, I i don't understand how if there were four guys lined up with their blades out he'd find a way to miss them all and shoot and pass it to the opposition he actually like i don't i don't get it he can't skate he can't shoot nothing is going right for him but somehow he's he's another guy who's been elevated above guys who are playing well like like dylan holloway uh connor brown a guy who's brought in and i understand he suffered um a, a huge injury last year tearing his acl um we're, we're we're through five games now he's done nothing and in the Oilers are paying him i know it's 750 grand this year but next year he'll be a four million dollar hit on the cap if, it, if all his bonuses hit and essentially if he plays 10 uh five more games his bonuses are going to kick in uh they need more from these guys they're not getting enough up and down the lineup and in that extends to mcdavid and dry settle we can get in that, into that a bit later um I mean, yeah, I, I can focus on negatives all night here. Um, <laughs> well, trust me, trust me. Mm-hmm. If it's the Evander Kane is over party, myself and every Jets fan who's in this chat is here to pile on. So don't worry about that one. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and it's not like like with Connor Brown, at least if you look at like his stats, like his expected goals and all that different stuff and his shooting percentage is super low, but he is creating the opportunities and creating at least some sort of positive momentum when he is on the ice for the Oilers. Evander Kane has done none of that. And for the last two games, he's been stapled to McDavid and Drysaddle. And you're, it's, it's, it, it's, it's eerily reminiscent to the Mil- Milan Lucic, like Anvil, that was tied to them through 17, 18, 18, 19, right? And, like, I, I want the guy to do good. I just want the Oilers to do good. But, like, he is such a non-option right now. And the fact that Jay Woodcroft keeps putting him out there. Like, he was out there for over a minute in overtime. And he was so ineffective. You're essentially just hoping that you're trying to tire the Jets out and keep them on the outside. Hope that they don't score. But, man, was that a tough thing to watch. Um, Yeah, for you guys, I again, I there's a million different issues with the Oilers. Um... You can look at their Okay, well, yeah. let's uh, fuck. let's Sorry. take a look at what I thought was good about the Oilers because nothing. I didn't think they were as big of stinkers as you do, but granted, if my team played a bit like yours did in the second period, which mine kind of did in the mm-hmm. third, um, and then was in that now hole of still only one win, you know, it th- the result changes things. I get it. So I, I get to sit here yes. and be the big like angel while you're the devil when, mm-hmm. you know, it's really just one Mark Shifley tip that changed things. But it is what it is. Anyways, um, the Winnipeg Jets power play frustrates me a lot. Um, 
it's terrible. And your power play, I'm sure you're used to just like a perfect power play. So maybe Literally. tonight wasn't your night. Um, but I love the way the puck moves on your power play. Talk you to me about that. You thought it was that. good? I thought oh it was Oh my God. I thought it was horrible. Like again, you expect you expect shots from the left flank, from the right flank. I expect shots in the point. I expect that that preset play where it goes down to Nugent Hopkins, down to Hyman on the goal line, up to Jason or McDavid for the shot, you know? I expect all that, and there's none of that. It seems like every time the puck is going to McDavid or Drysaddle, they're not shooting. They're missing the net. The puck's going around. Um, the Oilers actually, I know th- I know they had a fifth power play, but through four power plays, this is thanks to Bruce McCurdy on Twitter, they were outshot 3-2 to two by the Jets' penalty kill. Yeah, that's bad. Like, that's, that's pretty bad. bad. Yeah, no, I think it's more just when they had possession, I liked what they did with yes. it. Like it wasn't they they weren't as dominant for the full two minutes as they should have been, you know, and we can mm-hmm. nod to that Vlad Nemesikov goal is a pretty good example of sort of just a manifestation of everything that was going wrong for you guys at that period. The mm-hmm. the Stuart Skinner last minute, should I, should I not, and making the absolute wrong decision to jump on that puck was just very like telling of the time of the game there i was like oh this is just kind of summing it all up like oh we don't really know what's going on with the goaltending our power play hasn't been as good as it's supposed to be and then bam uh sort of put a little bit of a nail in the you know second period coffin to sort of cement the jets because knowing my team the worst thing that could have happened was playing that second period and not getting a goal because i think they would have just gotten in their heads about it and then just fallen apart which is what they do when they have momentum but don't do anything with it um so yeah i it, it, it's a comparison thing where my team just literally cannot move the puck for the life of them at five on four. Um, so I just thought some of the different set plays and, and the way that our team would, you know, overcommit when the puck was going to dry settle and they're like, oh, he's going to shoot, he's going to shoot. And then they would just move it like that. Bouchard goal was so nice because yeah. they, they read the Jets like a book, right? Where, you know, dry settle is open on the side. So both the defender and the goalie all the way over and i was like oh game over guys game over but uh... and that's how you score on hellebuck right you get him making those that lateral movement and you and, and you get him over committing or a guessing to one side and then you get the wide open net for bouchard right i mean one guy on the jets that kind of surprised me he he seemed to be around it all night was rasmus kapari yes let's talk about him yeah let's talk about him. i just moved my whole computer and I, i'm so excited about this guy um because you're talking about uh what edmonton had five power plays i believe so i know they had for, three for sure. drawn by Rasmus Kapari. Yeah, exactly. See, now I will say the hold on dry sidle was a little weak at the first period, but you know what? Those oh. are bound to happen. The refs were calling everything this game. Yeah, and what was the one? There was a Ryan Nugent Hopkins penalty that was crazy. There were two of them. He had a slashing one, and then he, they had an even up one when the Oilers were on the power play. Maybe, yeah, I think that, yeah, I think that was the one. There was one Holding I remember particularly on Rasmus was, Kapari. Uh, Is that it? It, it might have been that one, I think. Oh, you know what? Ryan Hopkins committed both infractions on Rasmus Kapari. <laughs> so, there you go. Yeah, yeah, that was... Ugh. Oh, man. Well, and then, so I guess, which is interesting, because one of them, yeah, was on the power play, so it is what it is. That that line matching is interesting to me, because Kapari got moved up a little bit. The dead lines were all over the place, especially with how much of the second period wasn't played out five on five. Like, by the end, there were no line combinations. But no, Rasmus Kapari, um, and we, we've talked about him in a couple of the different game overs we, we've done so far, because he's just been such a pleasant surprise from that bottom six. He, he comes in with this nice speed and the one by Jets had Axel Janssen Fialbi playing last year uh, semi-regularly in their bottom six and and people loved him on the fourth line because they're like oh he's so fast 
but that was kind of it and it was like so I get it like having that energy on that fourth line is super important and it's so nice to have a guy who brings that but also has some skill has some defense he's a pretty well-rounded player and he's fast doing it and and I think that's part of the reason he was able to draw a couple of those calls tonight and I I'm gonna make a comparison don't lose your mind but it's a Connor McDavid type thing, right? When you have a fast player in a certain situation, they're more likely to draw a call because of how they're coming into a situation and how the other player reacts to it. He's not Connor McDavid fast. Totally. He's not Connor McDavid fast, but he is faster, I'm sure, than people are expecting him to be. And I think that's why he's getting some calls. And, you know, as, as the season goes on, maybe if he gets a different role, like people might, you know, read him a little bit better and know what they're going to get from him but right now he's just kind of some unknown factor on this team and in his role right now and I think everyone has been pleasantly surprised with his impact and and he he makes some noise down in the offensive zone and he's he's pretty smart with the way that he manages the top um of that defensive zone as well so I really liked his game tonight yeah if he had a 97 on the back of his jersey I'm sure he'd actually probably draw less penalties uh than he has so far so yeah no it's definitely good he's definitely he was definitely he was really noticeable all night for the Jets I thought they had a number of a real I thought they had a number of really noticeable players like I thought Josh Morrissey played really well i think whenever the oilers play the jets neil pionk always stands out to oilers fans just because of how hard he is on their forwards uh in the defensive mm-hmm. zone um dylan Demello, i would love dylan Demello to be the oilers number one right he defenseman like a stud tonight like he was good he was there i mean in terms of like expected goals i believe he was the only jets player that was above 50 percent in expected wow. goals like i mean i don't know if you're big deserve to win a meter person but yeah the oilers were at 70 point almost 71% on the deserve to win a meter. They generated at all, well, all, all situations. Like that's the end of the game end at of the all game. situations? All situations. The Oilers generated 3.7 expected goals to so the Jets 2.2. And that's what happens. Okay. That, and, and, and that kind of takes us to a to the bigger thing. And we could point to all these little errors. Is McDavid, is McDavid, and we're going to talk about McDavid in a little bit. Obviously, it's a huge storyline. And I'm having heart palpitations when I didn't see him get on the ice for over, overtime. But... What it comes down to with the Edmonton Oilers, yeah, you know, Darnell Nurse is going to make a giveaway here or there, um, like he did in the first period when he passed it a right to Kyle Connor, I believe, in the slot, and Kyle Connor just put it right into Stuart Skinner's pads. Um, but it's goaltending. It's always going to be goaltending with the Edmonton Oilers. And the fact of the matter is, an 886 save percentage or whatever Stuart Skinner finished the game with again today is not good enough. Out of the five games the Oilers have played, only once has their goalie had above a 900 save percentage. That was Jack Campbell against Nashville. Like, you cannot win hockey games. It doesn't matter how many goals you score. You're never going to win like that. And I guess, and absolutely, full credit to Stuart Skinner. In the second period, when the Jets were coming on, he had that great blocker save on Rasmus Kapari. Robbed him. He had... um. He came on right at the end of the third when the Jets had a really good chance. In overtime, Stuart Skinner made a number of really good saves to keep the Oilers in it. But the first goal by Josh Morrissey on the power play with one second left, I'm sorry. I get, okay, good shot. You're an NHL goaltender. You faced six shots. That is a shot from 25 feet out. You have, there's one guy, I get there's a guy in front of you. You got to save that. You have to. You have to make some saves that are relatively hard. Because every time a goal goes in on the Oilers, now we hear, oh, well, the defense wasn't good enough this, the defense wasn't good enough that. No. The goalie's got to make a save at some point. As a Jets fan, I'm sure you know that. Hellebuck saves your ass all the time. Oh, 100%. I think the thing that that it comes down to is it's almost like we've done a full 360 in a weird way where people start, where when you're watching a game, 
and a goal goes in, it's like, oh, it's a goalie's fault. And then sometimes people overcorrect and overcorrect, and then they go in there. It's it can never be the goalie's fault. And every time there's a goal, it's like, oh, it had to go through five players and all these kinds of things. But we gotta do the full wraparound and understand that sometimes the goalie is just as much a player on that ice as the other five people are, and sometimes the goalie doesn't do the right thing and like no it's not lazy to be like the goalie has to have that because sometimes they do that josh morrissey shot is is the kind of thing where it's like yeah like it was a great blast like it, it came out a good time and all those kinds of things but like you said good shot this is the nhl you face good shots a lot exactly <laughs> and, and and like again that like how many high danger chances did the jets even have in the first period there was i shot them to, like 19 to 6 like, that was a dominant display from the Oilers, and we kind of touched on this already, but the second after that Bouchard goal went in, Hellebuck shut the door. Two breakaways for the Oilers, they got nothing, and from then on, it was uh, it was a toss-up. The Jets got back in the game. They didn't really get goals from any of their, you know, high-end players. It wasn't Shifley, it wasn't Connor, it wasn't Ehlers, it was, uh, it was Morrissey and who? Nemestikov, yeah, like, exactly, on shorthanded, right? And again, and you look at that shorthanded goal. Yeah, again, the power play back-to-back shorthanded goals in two games to is unacceptable, cannot happen. You're the best power play of all time. No exaggeration. Um, but Stuart Skinner, what are you doing? It, either go out or don't. Don't hesitate, then go. Like, you cannot afford to be getting up, giving up judgment. these goals. You can't. That was atrocious. Then you leave Darnell Nurse out there, and then is there a miscommunication? I don't know. I could You could go and blame 10,000 people. The fact of the matter is, that goal cannot go in the net right so again we can say okay you came on later you came on before but you cannot give up these weak goals just like once have a 60 minute effort if that morrissey is the goal that goes in and that's the first goal after you face 19 shots or whatever no one says a word about it but the fact of the matter is the jets had very very little uh high danger opportunities and then you let that in like you need better from and your you give them hope exactly that's the big thing too is you give them hope which in a situation where two goals like people say most dangerous lead in hockey right you turn that into three it's a completely different game and i'm sure that's what would have happened if the jets hadn't gotten a little bit of momentum from that morrissey goal um so yeah i 100 agree with you and it, it's interesting you i feel like i've seen a lot of like jets oilers comparisons in the last couple of games of the whole like you know what a bunch of losers like why can't you win a hockey game and all those sorts of things and this was i believe the first game that this team has put up a higher than 900 save percentage as well like we've been struggling on the back end as well so it was very relieving to see that come back but it's like yeah again i i'm saying that this jets team played decent tonight and it's like but if their goalie didn't do what he did they would have been screwed like that's how important it is you know yeah absolutely i just pulled up the actual numbers from natural stature yeah at five on five at the uh at the end of the game the Oilers out chance in high danger chances for 10 to 3 to the jets the entire game the shots for it five on five were 32 to 14 for the oilers like the oilers played but now one of the problems that the oilers kind of fall into is they get a lot of low percentage when they're struggling. They tend to go back to the point. And they get a lot of low percentage Darnell Nurse shots from the top corner. And those just kind of boost the save percentage and boost the numbers and whatever. And obviously those aren't going to generate much for you whatsoever. But the fact of the matter is the Oilers did generate a significant amount more than the Jets. And once again, it comes down to kind of looking at that 883 or whatever Stuart Skinner finished the game with and saying, come on, man. So yeah, not a good night. And again, but again, one, three and one, much better. At least makes me feel better. It's not as big of a hole to climb out of than one and four, but it's still 
you know, we're five games in the season. Vegas is now 6-0. and uh, Everyone picked the Oilers to be the winner of the Pacific Division. So this is super, super, super alarming. And the ship needs to write soon. Like, something needs to change. Now, uh, yeah, uh, before we get into Connor McDavid, is there any other topics, like, from a Jets perspective that you think are worth mentioning? Um, I think kind of the one thing I think I'd be uh, miss if I didn't bring up is our Connor. Yes. Um, and not Connor Hellenbuck. I'm talking about um our lovely fella in the number 81 jersey who seems to be a peewee fourth liner the moment he doesn't have the puck on his stick. I have been so alarmed by the performance of this player in the last little bit. And Mark Shifley, I, I am starting to enter my Mark Shifley revenge tour. Like I have been becoming a Mark Shifley apologist again. I've done a full 360 on this player. He was my favorite. And then I gave up on him for a couple of years. I was like, this guy stinks. And everyone got onto the train of this guy stinks. Um, and they're like, he can't play defense. And the whole thing, the whole league was Mark Shifley can't play defense. And I was like, true, but he's not even the worst superstar bad defender on our team it's Kyle Connor and Kyle Connor as soon as he's not scoring he's missing the net from that right flank on the power play every five seconds useless yeah no good board battles no good zone entries no good passes like this guy is freaking me out I am worried about him he's been like these aren't like abnormal traits for him he's never been really excellent at anything but scoring goals but it's getting to the point you know the excuse was always that he just creates that much more than he gives up that it's okay you can excuse it and I'm fully on board with that argument but at this point I don't know if he is and I was getting worried about it last season and I'm real worried about it right now and it's the same as you where we're like okay five games in like no need to you know call the fire department quite yet but it's like my finger is sitting on the nine, right? Like I'm, I'm close. Like I, I'm ready to dial because it's, it's not a good sign, and there are no signs telling me that he's going to get any better. So, if he starts scoring some goals, I'll shut up. Like I promise. Like whatever it is, what it is. But right now, every, 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 every highlight of a goal against the Winnipeg Jets, even if it's not his fault, you see a clip of Kyle Connor lunging forward with his stick, and it's like, oh, I could have, yeah, been part of this, and I wasn't. You know, so he's a worry to me, and I think totally. he's a worry to a lot of Jets fans. Yeah, totally. I think I I know like the Oilers, they struggle like they're for the last number of years. They've struggled on the penalty kill immensely. And tonight I thought they did a relatively good job actually pressuring the Jets power play. Now you were saying that the Jets just don't move the puck very well on the power play. So maybe I don't feel as good about that as I did, you know, coming into the show. But um, one of the thing, one of the times I was, you know, the most happy is when I see Kyle Connor wind up kind of on the left or right side, whatever side he kind of stays on the power play and take that shot. And he just wires it around the boards right out and saves the Oilers from themselves a number of times. Right. So that actually made me really happy. And I actually made a note of that uh, in, <laughs> in, in my in my in my notes here that, uh, you know, it was awesome to see Kyle Connor shoot because he wasn't hitting that. He had some I feel like he had some pretty good opportunities and he just wasn't finishing them like Stuart Skinner that's when Stuart Skinner came up big it's I don't know it's super frustrating for when I start thinking about Skinner again and whatnot but yeah no Kyle Connor definitely I could see that because I, I saw your tweet during the game talking about that he should be traded the same as Patrick Laine was when he was in Winnipeg and I never really put that together but I, I definitely mean villainized for his defense and his whole one trick pony thing if, what like let's look in the mirror here guys like holy smokes we got another one sitting right there if kyle connor's name was jesse pooley you think he'd be much more villainized <laughs> no literally mm-hmm. literally i swear i swear i don't know what it is but speaking of finished players guys let's try and get up uh 15 likes right now mm-hmm. in uh 
on the stream here for Rasmus Kapari. Let's get it up to 15. And then if you guys hit that, then we'll pick an Oilers number to try and oh, get it. For well, for me, I said we got 53 watching. We got 17 likes already. So, well, you know what? Mine has four likes. So, you know what? Oh, Maybe man. my phone's just So, yeah, everyone day. watching here, go ahead and hit that like button. I Clearly, there's at least We're at 17 now? What do you want to get up to? We're at 18. Okay. I'm, let's I'm, hit let's, 29 for Patrick Laine. Oh, let's hit 32 for, for the score for the Jets. Okay. Let's okay. Just keep Thirty-two for the for the Jets. Let's do it. Yeah, we'll do okay. it. Okay. Let Let's talk about Connor McDavid. So, uh, yeah, four last four minutes of the third period, nothing, uh, and then no play in overtime. I believe the last shift it was a hold of the left side. Talking to an athletic trainer, uh, I believe in the chat we asked for an update because they said Woodcroft is giving an update. Sounds like a whole lot of nothing for now. Very typical. I'm sure we'll hear tomorrow if there's anything there. Um. Talk about him. Just, Very just talk about it. Weird start to the season for Connor McDavid. 63 goals last year. Has not been shooting the puck like he has been. He's he, he last year is when he solidified himself as a threat to score on the power on the power play on the other side from Leon Drysaddle. So you could not overcommit to that Drysaddle one timer. You had to protect McDavid. If you didn't protect from that McDavid shot, he was burning you. Every single time. Not once today on the power play did I see Connor McDavid in a position to shoot. It is, it is such a weird feeling watching Connor McDavid right now. Because again, he's putting up his points. You'll never hear me ever say a bad word about Connor McDavid. I'm like Kyle Connor. He can, do like him and Leon can dog it as hard as they want. I could go and they could put out 10 Pierre-Luc Dubois. I want to leave Columbus shifts in a row. And I would buy two more jerseys for each of them. Like they can do genuinely whatever they want. Leon Dreisaitl, uh third highest uh, scoring point or third highest point per game in the playoffs of all time, by the way. Just, and you know, his fourth, Connor McDavid. They can do whatever they want. With that being said, it's such a weird start to the season, honestly, for both of them, but for more, more for Connor McDavid, just in the fact that he unwillingness to shoot the puck now last game you're watching that now one thing that we that that one change that the Oilers have made this year is obviously I'm sure you've heard about it because everyone and their mom is shouting from the rooftop said the Oilers have made the change to zone coverage in the defensive zone and they're running the box in one now and and one thing that comes with that is the breakouts are entirely different the Oilers defensive group isn't a well-passing group to begin with outside of Evan Bouchard, who also, like every other Oiler, has struggled uh, to start the season. So so you're watching Connor McDavid. He's not getting the puck in the defensive zone where he was getting it, you know, the last eight, nine years. And I, I don't know if that's what, what he's struggling with right now, but the Oilers can't break the puck up. They still haven't scored a goal in the third period, uh, as a matter of fact, this season, uh, which is a huge crazy, issue. Actually. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Connor just—he just not himself. Like those two guys are the clutchest players I've ever seen. Uh, it's it's everyone around them who we always complain about, but this year, like in the third period, they just—I don't know what's going on. And last game, obviously, because of these new breakouts, all this different stuff there, and the switching of the lines, kind of similar to how the Jets are doing it right now. We see Evander Kane crashing Connor McDavid. No one knows where anyone else is going to be. McDavid looks like he gets injured there. He goes in the bench. He talks to TD Fours for a while. This game. Doesn't really seem like himself. I was already talking about his lack of shooting. Then he goes out and nothing really happened to me, it seemed like. Like, I can't point to one play in particular. Like, they saw that thing where he was touching his side, but I've seen him push through so much. Like, I've not seen right? a player who takes more abuse. Like, you remember in the bubble, the Jet series, when he didn't draw a penalty, right? Like, <laughs> the abuse that he went through and still was dominant. And this year, it just, like, I don't know what it is. So... Yeah, it was weird, though, in the sense that he didn't go down the tunnel. He sat there I the know. entire time. 
So I- well, and then my thing was like, okay, he's still here, but he's very obviously not playing because in no world, like, it's not even worth discussing. But I was like, what if this goes to a shootout? It was like. Mm-hmm he's going to have to shoot because he's on the bench. Yeah. Like, he's still in the game. <laughs> That's what I was thinking, too. I'm like, I have no idea what the point of even, like, staying on the bench was. Was it to shoot in the shootout? Was it because he's just, like, Maybe. a never-say-die kind of guy? I thought, I genuinely thought the last minute of overtime when Holloway and uh, Nugent Hopkins were on the ice, McDavid was going to jump was on. standing on the bench. I know. My dad and I were losing our minds. We're like, he's going to come on, and he's going to score, and he's going to be a hero, and we're going to burn our house down. Like, I was like, we're not doing in this like oh my god I but yeah so it. it was just weird just very weird situation and, and and i can't i know that okay mcdavid goes down for four weeks and the Oilers are one three and one the season's over like like the season is over so but i can't find myself getting overly worried right now because of the fact that he stayed on the bench and the fact that he didn't really look like, he was in that much pain. Like, yeah, he was going, he was skating, he was shaking out his leg. He kind of did that, like, lap during the commercial break. He was kind of talking to the trainer who talked to Woodcroft. But you you know when a player is in pain, kind of hunched over on the bench. You can tell they're grimacing. I got to stay out here for my boys and whatever. But he yeah. wasn't doing that. He literally... He just looked like... He was watching. He looked like a benched guy almost. Like, and yeah. that's not the case. Obviously. Like, with the athletic trainer conversations. Like, yeah, he just looked like a dude. Like, you know, the typical Connor mcdavid like dis not disengaged that sounds mean but just like the the face of like you can't really tell what he's thinking like he didn't look hurt no i i totally agree with you and it is the kind of thing where and i'm always on the team of especially in game five of the season like if it's a question mark and you have however much time left in the game like just don't don't chance it it's all good but then you leave Mm -hmm. like if it's bad and you need to go to the doctor you leave like i just don't understand the combination of the things of the no playing but also the staying it was such it, it was the, that's one of the weirdest things i can recall because i can only think of a handful of times even where he's where he's even gotten hurt to stay on the bench no one could hit him usually he's the nine times out of ten when he gets hurt it's in a collision with his own teammates i remember him running into i believe like jordan everly once i remember him running into Lucic once i remember him running it obviously into evander kane and that's usually what gets him grimacing and leaving the bench and going down in the room and coming back or whatever other than that it's the injury against calgary that happened and i was in the building so i can't really remember uh what he did there but i believe he went straight down the tunnel and then obviously when he broke his collarbone now i saw people in the chat saying that he stayed on the bench but i believe he was on the bench for one second hunched over and went right down the room and again he's one of the toughest players i've ever seen just in terms of the abuse he takes so it's such a strange thing uh the oilers play uh i believe the oilers have two days off so we're i I don't think they're gonna skate tomorrow so we honestly probably won't find out if it's anything until uh monday so it's going to be really interesting to see because obviously that's critical more than anything for the Oilers season. And, and it's oh, already, yeah. the alarm's already Who cares off. what anything that happened in this game or the games before that? Like, that's where <laughs> the eyes go, for sure. Absolutely. Um. Yeah, I mean, the, like, I mean, from an Oilers perspective, there's not really much else to say beyond, like, the, the, the last thing that I really wanted to touch on today because it, it's just a big pile of shit, to be honest with you. They started great. They kind of fell apart as the game went on. The Jets kind of took advantage of the opportunities when they got them, capitalized, scrappy, really good win for the Jets. I'm sure that'll moralize, uh, keep them the, the momentum going going forward, and the Jets might get rolling here. Who knows? You beat the Oilers, you should be good, but fuck, who, who knows? I, I don't know what this team... But they, again, the one thing that's going on 
halfway through Earth, after the second period, Dylan Holloway, five minutes of ice time. Like, that's unacceptable. I, I cannot hammer home how important he's been, how critical he is second in the Oilers, either second or leads the Oilers in hits this season. He's leads the forwards and blocks. He keeps, he, I, I, there is a legitimate argument that he's the third most skilled forward on the Edmonton Oilers behind Leon Draisaitl and Connor McDavid. Now I'm not talking in game, would you rather Zach Hyman or him on McDavid's wing? Obviously Zach Hyman, but if you're just going like a full on skills shootout competition, I might take Dylan Holloway over him, Nugent Hopkins, Hyman, and obviously Kane right now. I'd take my brother over Kane, to be honest with you. But, um, yeah, Dylan Holloway needs to play more. He has earned his ice time, and every time he makes a good play, it seems like you go, you look at the lines of practice, he gets demoted. It makes absolutely no sense. The others went 11-7, and seven and they saw success last year going 11-7. and seven. All that says to me, they don't, they still do not have the depth that they've been chasing after for the last four years at every single deadline and every single offseason. They don't have the defense that can handle. They don't have six defensemen who can handle, you know, the regular dispersal of minutes. You usually see when there's six defensemen out. They need to kind of balance it out a little bit more, get that seventh defenseman. Now, I don't even really know how much ice time Vincent DeHarnay ended up having in the game. Yeah, Broberg, DeHarnay, 10 minutes. Okay, so it was a, actually a little bit more even among DeHarnay, uh, Kulak, and Broberg. I thought Broberg played fine, but yeah. From the top down again, the Oilers need to figure it out because... Their defense can't pass the boards. They can't break out. They can't score. This was the highest scoring team uh, of, out of everyone last year. Uh, there's huge problems. I, I don't know if you can just scrap this entire system they've tried to implement here because it's clearly not working right now. Every single player is struggling. But soon, if this continues for even one more game, significant changes have to happen because this is this is your copper bust year, copper bust, copper bust. You, you, you can't. You can't be one, four, and one in your cup and bus season. So yeah, no, hundred yeah. percent. And it's interesting that you bring that up because, like, we're kind of in a similar boat with Cole Perfetti. It's different, but not. The, and but my philosophy is still the same, and it's always the same. And I feel like this is a tale as old as time, where the young, skilled player finally gets into the lineup, and they're getting six minutes shifted with a fourth line of guys who can't even spit to the same degree as that player can so they're just set up to fail and then they're the easiest person to cut out because people are way too worried about hurting the vets and all those kinds of things like it's it's just it never stops being frustrating but it's always there sort of thing and, and the, the jets have a similar stitch where the moment a player got hurt in their top six Cole Perfetti got taken off of the center position and got thrown back on the wing and it was a whole thing where Cole Perfetti is a smaller player who is really skilled with the puck and works better when he has more space at the middle of the ice and he can move the puck to really good players. And he was really excited to finally get to play center in the NHL. And everyone was so excited. And Kevin Chevalier and Rick Bonus were saying he was the dream person to put there one injury immediately back on the wing. It was the first thing. It was the panic. It was the reaction. Why are we panicking? This yeah. is game four and five of an 82 game season. You are not scoring as much as you want to. Connor McDavid doesn't look as good as you want to. Why do you think it's the right thing to panic and play Dylan Holloway for two minutes in a period? Yeah, exactly. Like, wh why is that the solution? Exactly. We saw it last season. Dylan Holloway was playing really well. He got injured against Chicago, took a really hard hit, and he just never got back in the lineup. He went down to Bakersfield, and just Jay Woodcock just didn't trust him. Now, the weird thing about Dylan Holloway, one thing that I've seen, the Oilers are consistently using him on the penalty kill, and he is enough... The, 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 his archetype is a really success or should be a really good penalty killer. He's really fast. He's decent defensively. Actually, he's really good with his stick. He's physical. Um, so he should be, and he has been so far, but 
it seems five on five, the trust just evaporates. Like, I don't know how you can trust him in that situation where the Oilers struggle so immensely and then just throw him out there on the penalty kill. It, it doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't compute. Um, one thing uh, we're going to jump into, we got 40 people or 63 people watching, 66 people watching. Now we still have our like Amazing. goal of 32. We're at 27 likes. So five more of you guys. Hit like, really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun with Liss, obviously. Well, it's been a lot of fun for Liss. I'm happy to be on the show with Liss. I just hate the Oilers. Um, yeah, no, that's always how it goes. Is Zach and I, we did, um, I I think our first ever stream together was um, the Year's. first ever game over head-to-head that mm-hmm. we just randomly at, at the last minute decided to do last year because we were both sitting here on New Year's Eve doing the solo stream. And we're like, we're just going to do this together. And I think the Oilers won that one. Uh, no, 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 you no. won. It the was Jets New Year's. Won because you had to take a tequila shot. Yeah, I did. I did. I was thinking <laughs> about that today. Me so, and you uh, have done more shows together than any other host. Well, like any other opposing market host uh, in game over history. We got New Year's. We got the playoffs last year when you yeah. pinch hit for Dennis, which super appreciated. I think I pinched in a bit. Yeah. So we just, Zach and I have a good time on these streams. And I think we've had a decent balance. I want to say, I feel like. I've done a lot of Zach therapy, so I feel like I have done a lot of Oilers losses on these streams, but um, it, it's always a good time and we, and we have fun together. But before we, we wrap up the show, I you you will have seen that Zach uh, dropped the comment in the, in the chat, but we're going to jump into a question period uh, and get some some thoughts if there's anything that you think we missed or anything that you want some further opinions on whether it's jets fans if you want to hear zach's outsider opinion and not my bias takes on things or vice versa for fans um throw those in the chat um you said we have 66 people that's fantastic i yeah. appreciate uh getting those those numbers especially those of you who may be in uh, time zones where it's a little bit later of a time appreciate you being here uh, and we'd love to hear any questions that you guys have yeah. Oh, someone in the chat is from Winnipeg, but cheers for the Oilers. So he's well, neither of us like you or both of us like you then. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, yeah, we got the Heritage Classic next week. So, uh, so yeah, super excited about that. Rasmus Anderson, mm-hmm. it looks like he's going to miss the Heritage Classic. So maybe the Oilers can win a game. Finally, we'll see what happens. The Oilers are, you know, 1-7-1 and by the, by, the, by the time the Heritage Classic rolls around. But, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a problem for next week. David W. mentioned Matt Nyes in the chat. And that's something that I wanted to point out because, you know, me and you were both kind of complaining about similar issues with Cole Perfetti and with uh, Dylan Holloway. And you look at Matt Nyes today, Sheldon Keith consistently playing him in the top six, in the top nine, never taking his ice time away, never limiting him for a mistake or an injury or anything. He's never getting benched. And look what happens. Two goals, ties the game, sends it to overtime. Tavares wins it for the Leafs, right? So, and, and I think Matt Nyes and Dylan Holloway specifically are such comparable players, both yeah, going for yeah, game in are. college, like ex- just one year apart. Like they're very, very, very similar players. And you see one team utilizing the player correctly and the other team suppressing their player for quite literally no reason to reward Matthias Yanmark for doing genuinely nothing. Now, there's I've seen this question twice. MGD says it in the chat. What's up, MGD? Thanks for coming back. And Daki said it a little bit earlier. And I... This is something that I don't know. I, 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 in my fan, in my mind as a fan, I want to say scrap the defensive system right now. But they're for those of you listening tomorrow, he's talking about swarm defense and if the Jets or pardon me, if the Oilers bring it back. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Like, do like, yeah, exactly. Because both questions are about how the Oilers are struggling with their defense, their defensive system. And do you, do you just get scrap it right now? But you spent the entire preseason trying to implement this system. You spent the last five games sticking to the system. In my mind as a fan, I say, scrap it tomorrow. Go back to what works. We saw it work last year. We saw it work for the nine years 
well, not actually, they missed the playoffs for 200 years. So, actually, no. But, you know, go back to the system that worked last year. I don't think Jay Woodcroft would ever do that. I think it's just hammer at home, hammer at home, hammer at home. This is what wins in the playoffs. We're going to do it, and this is what we're going to do, and you guys better figure out how to make it work, or else, you know, we're not going to the playoffs. Do you have any insight into when you think a defensive system should change? Like, I don't know. I don't even know what to say. I so I think my my kind of response to that is kind of lame because my, my question is why they changed to begin with because if it was like like as confusing as it seems to be of like uh it just seems like an arbitrary well no I'm sure it wasn't an arbitrary decision but all that's to say if it wasn't like uh the Oilers are relying too much on offensive power and don't have enough structure to their defense so this isn't sustainable for our cup year okay. I have some time for that. I do. And I feel like I, every single thing, like we've had people, it's like, oh, like when do you decide if a player is in a, like a slump or all those kinds of things? I think quarter season is my thing because you need time to readjust and then refine. And I feel like if you were to wait half a season, like then you only have like, you know, a chunk of games where you refine or you, you know, you try it out again and see who works where, and then you actually make it good. So I feel like, by 20 games in if things are really not like working out i think that's when you call that's when you call the fire department i like that benchmark 20 games now nhl coaches are stubborn so i i genuinely don't know if woodcroft would ever do that um but what i will say is i think in the defensive zone it's actually working if you look at last year how many six five games the oilers played was ridiculous like every game was a tire fire barn burner they were scoring six goals the other team was scoring five like they needed to score six or seven goals to win now again part of that was on the goaltending this year outside of the 8-1 spanking by vancouver i they actually have succeeded in limiting the chances for the opposition it's been a lot of low quality a lot of low scoring games but they're also suppressing their own offense like it, it's going both ways right now. Yes, you're not playing these 5-4 whatever wins, but now we're just losing games 3-2. Like, I don't know if this is any better than what they were doing in the past. Now, the reason they switched it, I'm I just going to say quickly, this is the system that Vegas had, where Vegas always had uh. an offenseman in front of their net. The Oilers could never get, essentially never were able to create anything in tight in the Vegas zone. Uh, Vegas was able to keep this formation when the Oilers were able to suppress them in their zone for 40 minutes, 40 seconds or whatever on a long shift, and they never kind of let up. They never broke. So the Oilers were like, oh, you know what we should do? We don't. We have a defense that kind of struggles with a bunch of stuff, Nurse, CC, whatever. Let's implement this system because it seems like Vegas can plug in Ben Hutton. Vegas can plug in, you know, insert X made-up name Mark Donk here, and they seem to succeed in this defensive system. But... Again, the Oilers don't have a Shea Theodore. They don't have an Alex Petrangelo who can make these exceptional breakout passes uh, that Vegas has. So that's kind of where the system's faltering in my eyes a little bit. Again, Brett Kulak is not Alex Petrangelo. So yeah, it's yeah. been a problem. I totally agree. And I think that that's the one thing. And I like it with Vegas, like this always happens, right? Like where if, if, um you know, Florida had won the cup and even they didn't, frankly, it's the whole everyone is going to sense an overcorrection where they're going to be like, just get in. That's going to be the new thing is just get in because Florida won the cup by just getting in. And that's what happens when teams win the cup is that everyone overcorrects. And the thing is Vegas was what two, two, 
losses away from not winning the cup. It's a matter of two games that that switches who the team is that becomes the new blueprint and everyone corrects so quickly. And I Vegas is in the division and, you know, Vegas does have some really good structure. And honestly, like I do think they're a terrific team. And if there's one team to model different structures around, I do think that's a, a strong one to look at, but they have a Bruce Cassidy coach team that tweaks their systems based on the personnel that they have. Exactly. And you can't just take that curated system throw it into another team and be like, this will work. Exactly. Like, and I don't know if that's exactly what they did. Cause I don't, I can't speak to either of those teams strongly enough, but that that's kind of the vibe that I'm getting from the way that we're speaking about this. And so maybe they just need to adjust to this time and five games is not enough time. So we'll see, we'll see. But if it, you know, continues, because the thing is I'm not seeing like a ton of super green flags and indicators that things are getting better. You made some good comments about how like their, their XG and their numbers of shots are, decreasing which i think is is really good but at the expense of their competitive advantage which is their like on command goal scoring is a question mark to me so it'll be really interesting to see if it, if things kind of even out as as the sample size increases yeah exactly they're limiting their strength to focus on their weakness and they've just become a subpar hockey team because of it right like they're just not good at anything now as opposed to being exceptional at what makes them great so yeah it's super frustrating to see um we've kind of been going for almost an hour now so I know it's super late where you are. I'm just going to ask one more time in the chat. Any more questions and then maybe and then we'll, we'll kind of wrap it up for the night here. We'll put a bow on tonight because, yeah, I'm ready to bury my head in my pillow after the night. <laughs> hope that they figure it out and pray to God that Connor McDavid is okay. And, you know, I got to no I got to do my ritual before I go to sleep just to make sure he's <laughs> he's okay. Not superstitious, but a little stitious. We'll give you guys a couple seconds to get things in the chat. Uh, both teams have two days off before they play on Tuesday. You've got the wild, we've got the blues. So it'll be interesting to see um, the, I think it'll be kind of a similar attitude. Like going into this game, I was like, the jets are either going to be stinky doo-doo or they're going to have a fire lit and they're going to want to finally win one. Um, and they did. And I think that that's going to carry over. And now your team, you know, didn't, didn't get it today. So I feel like it's going to carry over and they're, they're going to be ready to win one Minnesota. Is so nothing like, Time to drive it home. That's the Oilers' boogeyman, though. Like, the last couple seasons, it doesn't matter really? how bad Minnesota is, they don't win against Minnesota. Minnesota gives them such a tough time. Like, this is just the most inopportune time to play Minnesota. I would rather play the Devils or Colorado over the Minnesota Wild any <laughs> single day of the week. I don't know what it is about the Minnesota Wild. The Oilers struggle so Honestly, that's much. so valid. The Jets don't they they struggle they, they don't usually beat the minnesota wild but they always get into like a brawl so like everyone always gets in like fights and they all get hurt and all these kinds of things because yeah so maybe minnesota wild are just just cursed um i we got we got to talk about mechanator's chat here this would be the last thing we bring up today because he asked it a couple times you got to bring it up connor brown he wants further thoughts on on your thoughts on connor brown Man, I was really excited for Connor Brown. There were a lot of really uh, high expectations for Connor Brown coming into the season. He spent the offseason training with the Oilers. The Oilers had one group of players all in Ontario, all training with Gary Roberts. He had Fogel, Bouchard, McDavid. Dreisaitl was there. He lived in he lived in Ontario this offseason. They were all there, and Connor Brown was one of those players. Connor Brown, obviously, everyone's going to talk about the Erie connection. Everyone was super excited to play with Connor McDavid. Didn't even last a game and a half on McDavid's line, already demoted to the third line. Again, 
Connor Brown suffered a season-ending ACL tear last season, so obviously he wasn't going to... Like, you can't just expect him to come back and be that 20-goal, 45-point guy that he was prior. Uh, in Ottawa, his strength was penalty killing. We really haven't seen... I, I don't know. I haven't been too impressed with his ability on the penalty kill. Uh, it seems like he always ends up chasing the puck and they always kind of lose their formation and then the Jets kind of get a wide-open one-timer in the slot or whatever uh, happened uh, prior. But yeah, Connor Brown offensively, I know a lot of people have said that his, uh, his stats, his, his, his expected stats are you know pretty good uh showing that there is something there you know he does have to shake off the rust now again this is one of those things where the oilers it's copper bust we don't have time to wait for you to shake off the rust if you're like this was their addition beyond Connor Brown, like their additions were Ben Gleason who's playing in oh in I was gonna say Oklahoma City Bakersfield um like they like this was the guy who was got that top six guy who could finish the chances that Kylie Yamamoto was never able to finish. And he just hasn't been that so far. I think on the third line with Ryan McLeod, he, you know, there, there is potential to be good there, but essentially we need to see these tan tangible results. Like they need to come sooner rather than later with Connor Brown. Uh, I honestly, I'm not as worried about Connor Brown as I am Evander Kane because Evander Kane is way more critical to the Oilers success. And he look, oh, I'm getting such like, I, was the biggest Milan Lucic hater in all of Alberta. Like, I could not stand him. And I am getting very, very, very... I'm getting a pit in my stomach when I think about how much he reminding me of Milan Lucic right now in those later years of his contract with the Oilers. Like, I am... Evander Kane is scaring the crap out of me. So, yeah, Connor That's Brown... even scaring oof. me. Connor Brown Lucic will be good. comparisons? Oof. Yeah, Evander Kane looked rough. Has looked rough continues to look rough uh we need to see something but then again all of the oilers pretty much up and down the lineup have looked rough so who knows who knows i wish i had the answer don't we all don't yeah. we all but um you will have the answer or someone will at the next game over on tuesday as will i uh and we will see you uh, at all of our shows coming up so obviously zach from game over edmonton which we're here doing today i'm from game over winnipeg and we're here doing these game over head-to-head -head shows and we'll be doing these every time our markets cross paths and so are every other canadian uh market so make sure you check all those out um make sure you check us out on twitter zach's handle oh boy it it's uh zed wheel 97 that's right i feel it. like i got this that's Zedwheel 97. It. so make sure you're following zach on there so you get all of this fantastic illustrative narration from zach from all these games in game post game and everything in between you can follow me on twitter at Liz hood uh it's l-y-s-s-h-o-u-d-e uh where i do pretty much the exact same thing so um this is a super fun time i'm taking over your show i know you're the host no, here please. But you're an like, exceptional I'm, host please please <laughs> i struggle with excellent with with my extra well, like there we oh. go so we'll wrap it up here. Thank you so much, everyone, for being live in the chat tonight. We appreciate it. Um, we know it's late. We know um, it's not always the most exciting thing to jump on a post game after your team is lost, but we're glad that we were able to sort of experience this with you and share all these thoughts with you. If you're listening back tomorrow or any other time, thank you so much for tuning in. We always appreciate the listens, no matter what platform you listen on, and we will see you next time. So have a good night, everybody, yep. and uh, go Jets, go. Uh, yeah, go Jets, go. Take care. <laughs>